The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Democracy is at stake, and we have to have alliances of people that strongly disagree on everything but that fact. Inflation's not going to be a problem. Inflation will moderate. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election, will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House serves up new intelligence on the standoff with Russia, warning again now of a plot by Vladimir Putin to create the pretext for war and justify an invasion. All this as Congress prepares a package of sanctions that could emerge at any time. We'll have the latest for you on both and discuss today's raid on the leader of ISIS in Syria with Congressman Jake Auchincloss, Democrat. From Massachusetts, a combat veteran who served as a Marine in Afghanistan. He'll be with us in a moment later. Our conversation with Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee and has some strong opinions about the Biden economic agenda and a severely challenged tax season, which is now just underway. We'll get reaction on those stories and today's Federal Reserve confirmation hearings. Yeah, there's a lot. From the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us again today. President Biden may be in New York today talking about crime prevention, but foreign policy, national security have been the issues at the White House. Before he left this morning, President Biden announcing the successful raid of ISIS leader Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qurashi, also known as Haji Abdullah. Knowing that this terrorist had chosen to surround himself with families, including children, we made a choice to pursue a special forces raid at a much greater risk than our, to our own people, rather than targeting him with an airstrike. And the raid was conducted by U.S. Special Forces. Haji Abdullah blew himself up. In fact, he blew up the whole floor and took several members of his own family. All the while, White House National Security Team trained on what's happening in Ukraine. A new warning from the administration that Russia is planning a false flag operation, a scheme to fabricate a pretext for an invasion, with a fabricated attack and graphic propaganda video similar to the warning we already heard from the White House. And this is where we start with Congressman Jake Auchincloss, who is with us this morning, Democrat from Massachusetts, combat veteran who served as a Marine in Afghanistan. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg. Good to be on. I'd like to start on the matter of sanctions with regard to Ukraine and Russia. I know you do not favor implementing sanctions up front. Would a false flag operation like the one we're hearing about from the White House justify them? It's important to understand the purpose of sanctions. The purpose of sanctions is to be a deterrent effect so that when President Putin is weighing the benefits and risks to him of invading Ukraine, he has to put the sanctions on the debit side of the calculation. He has to say that these are risks inherent in that operation. So if we were to preemptively wage the sanctions before he had invaded Ukraine, uh, they would lose their entire deterrent effect while still imposing costs 
on the United States and European countries. So mm-hmm. we need to keep those sanctions in reserve as a deterrent uh, effect. It, the purpose of uh, sharing with the world his intentions to wage a false flag operation yeah. is to neutralize the misinformation from that false flag operation. We want the world to know that President Putin is trying to gaslight NATO. Speaker Nancy Pelosi says leaders are taking steps now in the House to move a sanctions bill with speed. Congressman, here's what she said today. We want to move quickly with these. Now, it'll be up to the chairman as to the process and the rest. But um, but we, we want to be as close to the Senate bill as possible so there's no delay in getting something to the president's desk. Sounds like this could be on the fast track, even though there's not an actual deal yet, Congressman. Do you have a sense of when that might happen? I don't, but I, would, I think... Days or weeks, certainly not uh, anything longer than that. Understood. How do you make it hurt this time? If if this is the big package we're hearing about, uh, if if it was in fact triggered by an invasion or whatever level it is that you see justifying sanctions, should Russia be kicked out of the SWIFT financial network? Do you support personal sanctions against Putin? So the trigger for sanctions should be Russian forces crossing the border. Uh, units cross the border uh, without, <laughs> you know, the the invitation of the Ukrainian government, that's an invasion. That triggers the sanctions immediately. Got it. They're really going to be on two fronts. One is uh, energy and one is financial. Uh, we got to cut them off from the international financial system. Obviously, severing SWIFT is a draconian step. It will have repercussions for the international financial system as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that needs to be weighed very carefully. But energy exports are obviously an incredibly important source of reserves for, for Russia and for standards of living for the Russian people. And we need to make clear that they are going to lose a huge amount of that revenue stream. The final one I'll add, and and you raise it, is about personal sanctions. I strongly support that. President Putin's um, sort of political legitimacy comes much more from his fellow uh, oligarchs than it does from the Russian people themselves. And by really turning the screws on their standards of living, especially in relates to their asset storage in places like London and their access to educational institutions in Europe for their kids, Mm -hmm. that's got to fight as well. You've made the point, Congressman, that that Vladimir Putin's motivations have as much to do with domestic politics as geopolitics. And if he's in fact trying to distract from from a disappointed uh, population in his own country, does that also mean you do not think he'll actually invade, that this is a big show for home? Well, I think it can be a big show for home, but it can also mean that he's going to invade. He cannot be seen to lose face drastically in front of his domestic audience. As you said, this is a, a show for them, and it's unfortunately popular with the Russian people. They view much of Ukraine as really the ancestral Russian homeland. And so President Putin needs to be able to explain, if he is going to take an off-ramp away from war, how he got something that reinforces the greatness of the Russian nation. And that's going to be the art of the diplomacy here, is hmm. to be able to uh, provide him an off-ramp that allows him to save some measure of face with his domestic audience and with his elite audience. Yeah. Considering off-ramps here, how would sanctions play domestically for Vladimir Putin? Russian leaders have taken great pain since 2014 to try to sanction-proof their economy and to try to prevent Western leverage through sanctions. Now, that was for a level of sanctions that is an order of magnitude less intensive than what would come if they invaded Ukraine. I don't think there is any sheltering of the Russian economy from what's to come. Uh, but they do have significant, I mean, more than $100 billion worth of reserves that they can draw down on. Uh, and 
it, it's unlikely that it would cause a, catac- a cataclysm for the Russian domestic economy in the near term, but it absolutely is going to cause a deterioration in quality of life for constituents in the very short term. Congressman, I'd like to ask you quickly about the raid on the leader of ISIS. A major story today we heard from the president already and from the Pentagon now, recalling our conversations that you and I had about over-the-horizon missions following our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Is this a good example of that? That's exactly right. I recall you and I talking about how the United States did not need to have a huge body of conventional forces in Central Asia or the Middle East in order to have effective intelligence and operations against high-value terrorist targets. This is an exemplar of that. We have the intelligence capabilities and we have the special operations capabilities in tandem to remove from the battlefield terrorist leaders. Was it smart to set in special forces as opposed to using an airstrike? I mean, the the exact tactical maneuver I'm gonna I'm gonna leave to those who were on the on the on the ground. Sure. Certainly, I don't have the kind of insight to. Well, they were making the that. point that this is an effort to to save the lives of civilians. To be to be more precise with the results. And that's going to need to be weighed on a on a mission by mission basis. Of course, reducing the the possibility of civilian casualties always needs to be a priority in this mission. Yeah. Well, it's not ISIS that you're targeting here with your own bill, Congressman. But I do want to ask you quickly about the No Bank Accounts for Terrorists Act that you just introduced. I suppose this this is an example of, of sanctions, right? This bill tells the Treasury to monitor banks to, to make sure they're not laundering money for the Taliban. How big of a problem is that? Afghanistan's in crisis right now. It, it is in a humanitarian crisis where Afghans are facing privation and starvation, and it's in a crisis of economic development in which there are no, there's no real functioning economy or financial system. And what this bill is meant to do is to neutralize legitimate national security concerns about the Taliban financing narco-terror activities so that we can provide humanitarian and economic development funds. So it is, it is trying to neutralize one challenge that we have in order to allow us to actually more effectively finance Afghan recovery, because the United States has a special responsibility to that country. Yeah. Does the situation on the ground in Afghanistan right now resemble what you thought it would look like when we were discussing the withdrawal at the end of August? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, the Taliban's incompetence was, in terms of governance, was not hard to predict. I think the scale of emigration and the scale of privation is is really is startling, and it needs to be addressed. The United States has a responsibility to provide humanitarian relief, which we are, but we've got to step up that relief, as I've advocated for. And in order to do that in a way that does not fuel narco-terror activities, we need to ensure that the Taliban's leadership are not allowed to be basically laundering humanitarian funds. Congressman, lastly, you and I have been talking about foreign policy, geopolitics, uh, for the last almost 10 minutes is all of this distracting from Democratic priorities in 2022, or can the party handle both at once? Not only can the party, but that is the basis of government, is that this, the president, the Congress, has both a foreign and a domestic mandate. We need to keep Americans and American values safe overseas, and we, of course, need to be improving the economy and getting, gaining control of COVID here at home. Congressman Jake Auchincloss, Democrat from Massachusetts, We thank you for your time, as always, on Bloomberg. Take care. Coming up, we assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us. Their take on America's answer to Putin's plan coming up on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll check traffic and after-hours markets for you. Stay here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So we're back to the false flag now. The headline on the terminal U.S. warns of fake video plot to justify attack. Listening to the Pentagon and the White House, for that matter, describe this is uh, quite remarkable. As I mentioned briefly earlier, we're talking about a graphic propaganda video that would come with actors, you know, corpses on the ground, actors as mourners, people running around, you know, think shaky cam, found video, Cloverfield. Hasn't happened yet. It's also not the first time we've heard about it, though, and some have suggested, even on this program, that that's why it hasn't happened. Let's assemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie with us today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis. What do you make of this? Once again, Jeannie, we talked about it the first time for the White House to come out with such specific details of what they're expecting might happen. Will it keep it from happening? You know, it is a very important start. To publicize these things takes the wind out of it. I think what is striking is that the reports are that this was just one of many options that they had developed to justify sending their troops in. Right. And so, you know, this this video that they have publicized, it's eerie when you read the description of it, but the idea that there is more to come, and, and you know, you think about um, other types of, of attacks uh, or justifications, including cyber that they have at their disposal. Those are things that, you know, can also justify their entry in. And so the publicity is an important step, but it's certainly not going to stop them. Rick, we've talked about Russia's and Vladimir Putin's propensity for this kind of a thing. What brings the White House to the fore to once again warn people with much more detail than the first time around? Have they seen this video or have reason to believe it's coming? You know, I think they must have reason to believe that it's there, right, that yeah. it exists. Mm-hmm. And it's a tool that they're just taking away from Putin, right? I mean, like, you would think by now the world would not believe what Putin tells them about these kinds of initiatives. But the reality is that um, it now doesn't matter because uh, we're calling Putin on the ground on it. The matter of sanctions in the air again today, we've been talking quite about it, quite a bit about it. It appears we could get a deal uh, fairly soon, U.S. and U.K. for that matter. But it looks like the situation between the House and Senate, Democrats and Republicans, you might have heard Nancy Pelosi while I was talking to Congressman Auchincloss. They're ready to fast track this, genie. So the House version matches the Senate version and they can get this out the door to the president's desk. Does that mean Democrats and Republicans agree on this now? It's stunning to hear myself say this, but it yeah. is a rare show of bipartisan agreement, and, and it's important, and, and I think it is a very good sign that they are prepared to move forward on this. And, you know, there had been some debate about preemptive or post, but they seem to have resolved most of those issues with the agreement that the sanctions have to be, uh, in, that they have to be effective enough to both preempt and to, in the aftermath, if it occurs, um, as Nancy Pelosi said, post invasion, that leverage should be at the maximum. And a pretty clear split now, I guess, along party lines, Rick, about whether we should impose sanctions now or maybe a one-two punch, either have something you know in reserve 
uh, in the case of an invasion or hold everything Democrats say, if you do anything now, then there's no motivation for Putin to not roll in there, that we lose leverage. You don't agree with that, do you? No. Uh, first of all, we already have sanctions on Russia, right? And yeah. they have an effect. Uh, and there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't uh, tier these sanctions so that, uh, one, uh, it, it coalesces Europe and the U.S. interests together, right? In other words, these sanctions have to be completely supported by our Western allies. And then two, uh, we can just show the fact that uh, this war has already begun. I mean, the reality is that the, the, the Russians are already attacking the Ukraine through cyber attacks, uh, and they already have troops within the border of uh, Ukraine uh, violating their sovereignty. So why in the world would we wait until, quote, uh, the Russians cross the border when they're already yeah. there. And we keep hearing on a daily basis, Jeannie, that they're adding to forces uh, along the border. I mean, at what point? You heard Jake Auchincloss, the, the congressman from Massachusetts. He says, no, that's called boots crossing the border. They have to actually go into Ukraine. But the mobilizing that we're seeing is is distracting the world and causing major problems. It, it absolutely is. And I would just say in one, at least to me, sort of bright light in all of this today was the visit by Turkey's president uh, to Kiev and the idea that he has invited Putin to Turkey in March for continued talks. Don't we we have to remember that Turkey is uh, he has very good ties with both Russia and Ukraine. It is rare for a NATO country to have that. He has that. And so I at least found the visit and the potential visit with between Putin and Erdogan in Turkey, if it happens in in March, yeah. and they're talking potentially peace talks in Istanbul after that. You know, it's still very much up in the air, but it's one potential bright light. But in, of course, a mist of these troops amassing at the border, of course, our own troops going over, not to the Ukraine, but over to Eastern Europe. What do you make of that, uh, Rick? I was surprised to read it, actually, that, that Erdogan signed a deal with Zelensky to expand the production of drones in Ukraine. Is this is the honeymoon with Vlad going to be off now? Well, I'm not sure exactly how much of a honeymoon that there was. Might uh, not be the best word, but they were supposed to have a pretty good relationship. Well, Erdogan was buying weapon systems that yeah. really infuriated the NATO allies uh, from Russia. So, uh, sure, I think he's seeing where the future is. And I think the future for Turkey has always been within the European community, not Russia. And uh, and so, look, um, uh, I think it's a, it's one of those things that can coalesce our allies together uh, and together together. Uh, Russia cannot beat anybody. Coming up, we turn to taxes and the backlog at the IRS. Rick and Jeannie will be back with us as we reassemble the panel a bit later. We're going to talk first with the ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee, Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. There's a call for more funding, as you've heard before, for the IRS as the agency faces a backlog now of more than 10 million tax returns this season. Indeed, if you listen to this program, you have been warned already. Democrats are pushing for $80 billion in funding. They say that's what's needed to fix the problem. As we heard late last month from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. We would call on Congress to act now to give the IRS the funding it needs to meet its goal. Uh, but again, in terms of addressing the backlog, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. And I think people need to uh, understand that they need funding, uh, but they need to. Uh, but there's a long history here that's led to this moment. Congressman Kevin Brady is the ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. And he's back with us today. It's great to have you with us again, Congressman. Is this about... Money, or is this about more than funding, fixing the IRS? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it is a bit of both, to be honest, and I would disagree with, with her characterization of this. Truth is, 
for the past year, the White House has been been has ignored, you know, sort of the tax return crisis and, and the millions uh, of returns that have sit uh, unopened because they focused on trying to get money for 80,000 new IRS agents to audit Americans, as well as that that pretty dangerous, I think, bank surveillance scheme. That's where all their attention has been paid. Not not really a dime have they allocated to work off this backlog. And the administration has uh, really hundreds of billions of dollars at their disposal. They didn't allocate anything to the IRS or Treasury to address this backlog. So, you know, I, I think it is only going to get worse. Our constituents Ugh. have been howling about this for months and months. So it's not like it should have been a surprise for Treasury. Sure. The IRS has had its funding cut several times, of course, over the past 10 years. This president owns one of them, I guess. Does he deserve the blame for the whole problem? You know, uh, not all of it, but certainly the blame for not addressing what everyone in Congress in America knew was coming, which was mm-hmm. another tax filing season on top of historically bad and long ba- uh, backlogs, certainly for Republicans. You know, any money or funding needed for customer service and working at that backlog, count us in. Yeah. We, we absolutely believe this is a real crisis that needs to be addressed. Uh, but so far, again, their whole focus has been uh, on the bank surveillance scheme and then the uh, hiring all the IRS auditors, which I think were the wrong priorities. Is $80 billion the right number? How the heck do you get that passed? I know they had this in, in Build Back Better that didn't yeah. go anywhere, obviously. Could that be a standalone bill? Uh, not at $80 billion. I, I don't think unleashing 80,000 IRS agents are going to close the uh, close the uh, uh, tax gap at all. In fact, we've introduced legislation that really refocuses the money they have onto a much smarter auditing system that really goes after those that they think, okay. um, frankly, aren't paying uh, their taxes fully. And we, we agree. Look, you owe taxes. You should pay them. And we're, we're glad to address that. But right now, customer service is the priority and it should be the priority for the administration. It just isn't. Should the IRS delay the filing deadline like last year? I know it's a little bit different with COVID, yeah. but wouldn't that help people? You know, uh, I think probably not for most Americans. In fact, I think there needs to be the certainty of deadlines. It's been, I think, very confusing. Here's the problem, Joe, is that a number of tax filers are waiting for information from the IRS, including small businesses and others who, who made use of tax credits in COVID or other tax provisions, and they're waiting for information, documents from the IRS. They are going to have trouble filing mm-hmm. uh, on a timely basis. So for some... Yes, I think. I just don't know how they target those. Don't move the whole date, though. Congressman, I want to ask you about the child tax credit, uh, which yeah. also expired when the aforementioned Build Back Better legislation was put on the shelf. Bloomberg is reporting today that there could be a bipartisan effort uh, to pass a less expensive version that comes with a work requirement. I know you've been asked about this. Is it something you support? Uh, the short answer is yes. And I think the solution's already there. Under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Republicans doubled the child tax credit and increased the refundability, which means sent checks to those who don't have uh, that tax liability. Uh, but but it is temporary. And so making that, prim- which is the law of the land today, that's the, so we still have a child tax credit in place. I think making that permanent would be crucial. Making permanent also includes that work requirement, which is really important because the child tax credit was created by Republicans in Congress working mm-hmm. with President Clinton uh, for two reasons. One, 
you know, let people keep more of what they earn to help raise their kids. Very good reason. But secondly, as an incentive to reward work and help single parents return and reconnect to a job, mm-hmm. uh, that's why removing the uh, the earnings limit or what most people say a work requirement yes. uh, is working against the workforce. Some estimate about one and a half million Americans would exit the workforce if that child tax credit uh, is made permanent. Well, you know what the critics uh, to this idea say, that, that most at-risk kids are left exposed with a work requirement. You know, why would you penalize kids when their parents aren't, uh, aren't actually, uh, don't have the wherewithal to go out and find a job or look for a job? Yeah, so these are not large uh, earnings limits and requirements at all. Uh, secondly, what we know, having successfully lifted millions of Americans out of poverty, is that having a good job with growing paychecks, does so much more for uh, families, poor families with kids than never-ending government checks. Because Mm. when you do that, you never break the cycle for those children, certainly not for their parents as well. And so that work requirement is, frankly, one of the surest ways uh, to move and help lift them out of poverty. I'm out of time, Congressman, but can you see that happening in the coming weeks? Um, It depends. Um, It'd be a big deal. I I think in the... in the coming weeks, uh, I'd be surprised. I, there's there's not much work being done up here right now in that regard. I think there's a focus on extending government funding, but right. but I'd be surprised if they're able to reach uh, that agreement that Look, that Republicans can embrace. Love to have you back to talk about that omnibus budget. Hopefully, uh, we're not talking about a, sh- a shutdown uh, by the middle of this month. Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. His viewpoints, we'll put them to the panel next, and we'll also retrace what happened today in the Federal Reserve confirmation hearings on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, child tax credit tweaks crack open door for bipartisan talks. Congressman Kevin Brady just told us he's in favor of this idea, a less expensive version of the tax credit that comes with a lower eligibility threshold and a work requirement. Let's reassemble the panel for their take. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are back. Rick, the congressman seemed to think this might take time, but but thinks it could actually happen. Do you see it passing? Well, it certainly uh, has a potential if it come out of the Ways and Means Committee as a bipartisan bill. Mm -hmm. uh, Senators like Marco Rubio and others who have been involved in the child tax credit in the past and been widely supportive uh, would probably react really positively to it. So, sure. I mean, if if, but you'll almost have to declare Build Back Better dead. (laughs) The reconciliation bill has to go away in order to be able to move this forward. Well, there you go, Jeannie. This would be the first component, at least from my count, from Build Back Better to be revived. 
Would it be seen as a win for President Biden or will progressives call it a loss because of the means testing and that Republicans voted for it? Well, I think Joe Manchin said there's no build back better. So, Joe, Joe, that, Matthew, we're going to start from scratch. There yeah. we are. We're starting from scratch. I, I do think uh, Joe Biden would face um, a pushback from if he was on board with this, he would face pushback from progressives, as would this whatever comes out of the Senate if this does. And there's a very good reason why the work requirement precludes the lowest income families, the people who need the money the most and benefit from the money the most. There's a reason that the way it was constructed reduced child poverty as much as it did. And the research has been astounding across the board about the impact of means testing and these work requirements. So I understand this is an area in which Republicans and Democrats could potentially maneuver in the Senate and come to an agreement. But I do think you're going to face pushback. And again, I think rightly so. Uh, You know, I do understand that it's, you know, do you want nothing or something at all? This may be something, but let's not forget the impact on the, the, the poorest of the children right. in the country. I mean, and that's what we're giving up here. Well, so that's then you just answered the question, Rick. Then the president is dinged again by by progressives in the U.S. House specifically who say that you're not we're not even in the same party here. Your progressive values have been compromised. Yeah, but where are the progressive successes legislatively this year? The, the successes have been bipartisan successes that yep. have been embraced by uh, this president and signed into law and benefited the country. So we can either we can either lurch left and do nothing, or we can go back to the center and get work done on Capitol Hill that benefits the American people. I want to get your take both on uh, the Federal Reserve confirmation hearing today. We talked about it yesterday. We gave people a bit of a preview. We discussed it with Mike McKee and some of the some of the pushback that Republicans uh, were were previewing against these three nominees. This is, again, President Biden's three nominees to fill the seats on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Indeed, as I read on the terminal, Republicans stepped up attacks on two of them. I think we actually had this pretty close to right last night. During heated testimony, Sarah Bloom Raskin, of course, she's got the supervisory role, pushed to defend past remarks about the role of regulation in mitigating climate risk. And Lisa Cook, a Ph.D. economist, first black woman nominated to the Fed, forced to defend her knowledge of monetary policy and how she would respond to inflation. The ranking member on the panel, who we heard from yesterday here on Bloomberg, Senator Pat Toomey, uh, let Sarah Bloom Raskin have it. He's, again, gave us a bit of a preview yesterday, and we heard largely the same stuff. He went after Bloom Raskin's statements on climate change and making capital available to fossil fuel companies. Are you saying you no longer hold these views that that you've stated about allocating capital as a result of your perception of this risk? My views have have been consistent, Senator. Um, The Fed should not pick winners and losers. They should not be exposing taxpayers to undue risk. Well, okay, I'm sorry. There is no reasonable reading of these articles and speeches that can come to a conclusion other than that you want to be allocating capital away from those industries that are generating large amounts of CO2. And while Bloom Raskin was artful and in her answers and was smiling and was communicative, Pat Toomey never bought it. He, he moved on and went back and forth as well with Lisa Cook, forcing her, as I mentioned, to defend her knowledge of monetary policy. Just a taste here. How do we get inflation under control? Thank you for that question, Senator. I understand that um, every day Americans are suffering from high inflation. This is 
something that I learned a lesson about more recently, probably than most people. I've lived in countries and advised countries in a situation of hyperinflation. So I am motivated by seeing the suffering of workers, of businesses, and just trying to plan their everyday, everyday lives. All right, so there's Lisa Cook. If you've never heard her voice before in sparring there again, not really sparring, but answering the questions of the ranking member. Jeannie, did Republicans overstep today with their opposition? Did they do their jobs? And how did the testimony go for these two? Well, I thought it was as fiery as we thought it would be yesterday. And, and, and you know, I, I was a little bit surprised on the one hand. Um, first of all, these are two very accomplished, smart women. I yep. was a little bit surprised by Dr. Cook's um, answer on inflation. If there's one thing that was going to be talked about today, That's it was right, inflation. Yeah. Um, you had to be prepared for that. And um, she, I think, was trying to do a sort of artful political non-answer, but I'm not sure it was effective. Okay. Um, and, you know, Sarah Bloom Raskin, rather, um, she, I thought, handled herself well. She is, of course, trying to defend things that she said and written about that are, you know, widely not supported by the Republican members. Um, and I think they're both going to have, you know, it's going to be a tight squeeze getting them through at this point. I think they will get through. They're going to have to wait for the senator to New, from New Mexico to come back in order to do it. Yes, that's right. Um, but, but I do think that it was... Uh, you know, a fiery, a fiery engagement today. And I thought perhaps Dr. Cook could have been a little more prepared on that inflation question. Did, did Lisa Cook convince you, Rick? And did Pat Toomey push it too far? You know, I don't think Pat Toomey pushed it too far. This is what they do. Uh, yeah. uh, members are to test uh, these candidates. Uh, and I think Lisa Cook was actually deploying a well-used tactic in a confirmation hearing, which is when you don't want to get into policy, talk about personal experience. Sure, yep. That's exactly where she went. Oh, yeah, I've lived in countries that had hyperinflation. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. Um, mm -hmm. You've seen something. It doesn't mean you're going to act in any particular way in the future about it. And that's what you're trying to avoid is any promises to do something. Uh, I think with her, it's just putting her through her paces. Uh, I, I think it would be uh, really unusual and frankly, bad policy for the Republicans to oppose uh, a qualified woman who would make history as the first yeah. black woman okay. on the board. So Republicans uh, don't try to pick off one of these nominees. No, I, I think that it's that with Raskin, it's as much giving a signal to the Fed that they got to watch out about all this talk about getting into climate. Yeah, uh, she's the messenger. Uh, and so she's got to take that incoming as a result of that. But uh, I, I really wouldn't imagine that she would even be denied a seat having been already on the board. So, um, you know, my, my guess is that this is a lot of fireworks, uh, high entertainment value, a lot of message sending, mm -hmm. uh, but still results in these three getting selected for the board. Philip Jefferson uh, couldn't say anything wrong today, Jeannie. He seems to be praised by both sides. He was. He, he was widely accepted by both sides. He looks like he will, you know, go right through very quickly and, you know, as it should be. Um, you know, I, I do think that I wish that there had been more time, actually, because I thought that uh, Bloom Raskin's um, comments, she is not that far from some of what Jerome Powell has said in the past about the role of the Fed. And I didn't think that came out as clearly in part because of the time limits there. So I do think in this country, we need a concerted discussion about the role of the Fed that we're just not engaged in right now and didn't come through today. You see them all three passing is your take on this, Rick? 
Yeah, I think all three get through. I think that uh, Republicans will feel good that they've sent the Fed a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and you know, we, we, we won't hear much more about them for some time to come because I think Jerome Powell will steer the Fed in the same direction it's been headed. And, of course, unless it's dealing with inflation, it's unlikely that any Republican or Democrat is going to care what they think. Are you guys both worried about the jobs report tomorrow? We know it's going to be weaker than expected. Jeannie, is it going to be a problem for this White House, or do they get ahead of it? I think they've done everything they can to get ahead of it. And I keep thinking, what if there's a surprise Joe Matthew, and it's a little bit better than they keep saying? You know, that keeps in the back of my mind. Were they just forcing the bar down on this, Rick, so it sounds like good news? Yeah, I think Jeannie's nailed it. I mean, like, huh. how bad can it be, right? Could what be if negative. it's better than what it what they think it is? <laughs> then they look like idiots. So. All right. We'll find out 8.30 tomorrow morning. We'll talk about it here, of course. Great hour with Rick and Jeannie. I'm telling you. If you want to know what's going on in the world, just get an hour with Rick and Jeannie. You'll figure it all out. February's Black History Month. Every day this month, we are celebrating significant moments in U.S. black history, and want to go to today's installment now. Feb 3, here's Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1870, the 15th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States was ratified. This guaranteed the right to vote regardless of race. It also intended to ensure with the 14th Amendment the civil rights of former slaves. But many black people would not actually be able to practice this right to vote until the 1965 Voting Rights Act. It gave African-Americans a way to get around barriers at the state and local levels that had previously prevented them from exercising the right to vote. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. And I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for sharing the fastest hour in politics with us again. I'll meet you for the Friday version here on Sound On, and we'll distill that jobs report and see what it means, of course, politically. That's our job here. We'll check on the markets on the way. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.